I would suggest there is to look at root cause and see which of the problem statements solves the root cause of mm. all the others. This is Digital Marketing. Hey, it's Marky Grass here, and I've got a question for you. What if you could legally get the emails of almost every person who visits your site? Seriously, what if you could safely and respectfully retarget your website visitors via email just by dropping a pixel onto your site? It might sound too good to be true, but our new sponsors at getemails.com can do just that. They've created a system that's compliant with U.S. laws and regulations, and every email address they send you is opted in to receive emails. So that means that you can connect your anonymous website visitors to real people and safely retarget them through email with real-time, fully compliant interactions. It might sound too good to be true, but trust me, it works. The CEO, Adam Robinson, is brilliant. And he believes in his product so much that he's willing to do something a little crazy for digital marketer listeners. If you go through their easy 30-minute onboarding process and haven't 5X your investment within the first six months, they'll give you all of your money back. To take advantage of the offer, go to getemails.com slash digitalmarketer. That's getemails.com slash digitalmarketer. Hey everyone, this is Marty Grass, the president of Digital Marketer, and this is the podcast that keeps you up to date on everything you need to know when it comes to digital marketing, from the platforms you need to be focused on to the cutting-edge tactics and tools that are working today. Today, our guest is Josh Wilkinson. He's the owner of Ascent Ventures LLC, a serial entrepreneur since the age of 14, with his first business at 17, and it has been in marketing or actively in marketing since 2007. So welcome, Josh. Hey, Mark. How are you doing? Glad to be here. Doing great. I think before we got on, we were kind of talking about your background and concept of metacognition. So just get started. Why don't we talk about what's the definition of of metacognition? Great question. The definition of metacognition is the awareness and understanding of one's own thought processes. I think that's huge. I think for entrepreneurs and you know anybody in marketing, I think that the thought process is kind of constantly going through our heads as we come up with ideas for marketing campaigns and try to just get an understanding of both our clients and also the customers, of course. So I thought we could kind of review what you mean by that and kind of how it applies specifically to the marketing profession. Yeah, so the way I see it, business in general is a summation of decisions. The decisions we make now, some of them, Alex Ramosi talks about this on his podcast, but some of the decisions we make don't matter. They don't have a big effect on moving the needle. Some decisions, and it's sometimes just a few of them, have the biggest leverage. They're the ones that really push the needle. And sometimes you don't know which those are going to be. So you want to make sure that really all the decisions you make are high quality and lead to a good outcome. So understanding your own thought process puts the control and the power back to you versus being in more of a react state. No, that, that, I love that definition because I think it's, well, it's easy to go through life without ever thinking about how you think, which is how most people do it. You know, you just kind of go along. Maybe the thought process, last time I did this, I got this result. So I'll just use that process again, but, but not really systematizing it, the best way to put it. Yeah, systematizing is one way of doing it. That's definitely a powerful path. Delegation, we all know what delegating is. But how do you know what you should delegate and what you should get rid of? Well, maybe you should take an entirely different path altogether, like innovation, right? So innovation is important. Sometimes it's 
better to optimize than it is to innovate. So then how do you know which of those to do? How do you know what problems you should be solving in your business for people? Because business is about solving problems. So if you can reflect on what you're currently doing in business and say, well, this is, these are the problems I'm currently solving. What if I solved these other problems also or instead of what I'm currently doing? So for example, with Ascend Ventures, I went from applying my marketing skills to businesses that are growing. And I started applying the customer acquisition skills to getting leads for mergers and acquisitions. So it might be a little out of the scope for some people, but you can take the same idea of applying what you already have to something greater or to something different to optimize the outcome. So for me, I took my marketing skills and said, instead of generating leads for businesses that are selling, say, a $50 product or $100 product, I will apply those same skills to businesses that are acquiring companies or firstly hundreds of thousands of dollars or if not millions. It's a much bigger problem that's being solved. So you can charge a much higher premium premium for it. No, I love that. Since you, you know, your big concern now is that growth and scaling, why don't we talk about how you kind of get into the heads of the companies that you help? Because I know the owners probably have a perception of what they want the product to be, what they want their marketing to be. Do you do some type of evaluation of how they think prior to giving them advice? Yes. There's an excellent framework that I use. I got it from a book called Thinker Toys. Highly recommend it. One of my top favorites of any books I've read. Thinker Toys has this process they talk about in the book where you create a matrix. So it's a fully thought through process of you look at the horizontal abstraction and the vertical abstraction. And what that means is you look at the problem. Is the problem that you should be solving at a bigger picture level or a very small specific level. And then what you do is you create your problem statement where you say the problem we're solving is fill in the blank, whatever that is. Then what you do is you create your solution statement and you say the solution we're going to use is fill in the blank. And then the way you brainstorm to figure out where the optimal place to start is, you take every word in the sentence and come up with a synonym five to 10 synonyms for each word in that sentence. So you create this expansive list. And this is a fair amount of work, but this is what we're talking about. So then you just create this expansive list of sentences that are problem sentences and solution statement sentences. And then you come up and say, which one of these pairs the best? Mm. And then you can kind of say, based on that, now we know, like, is the problem really growth? Or is it maybe we should start at the systems level or the operations? And you can kind of identify where the the access point is to solve the bigger problems that are causing all the small problems. Hmm. So in your experience, actually helping these business owners and growing businesses, have you found some similar issues? Like, is it usually operational? Or is it usually marketing message based? Yeah, so that depends on the stage of the business. Different stages of business tends to have different problems. I would say if it's a startup, the problem is usually growth. They need to get product market fit. They need to find something and just sell it. If they focus too much on systems at that point and try and get everything optimized so that it runs smoothly, I think they're going to hit friction and they're not going to get off the ground. The plane can't get off the ground if there's too much friction. Once they're in the air and they try to keep growing, but they haven't built the plane in a way that can sustain the growth, then the plane's going to start falling apart. And nobody wants that. So you need to 
then figure out what systems are going to implement and connect that with the growth so there's continuity between the marketing and operations. Once you get into the eight, nine figures, other problems come up. And one of those is process. So once you have all the team in place, culture is another problem that can come up. And on that note, actually, I wanted to mention something from, again, the book Thinker Toys, which is every problem can be an opportunity. So people don't like problems, but they love opportunities. So if you can show your team or whatever, whoever it is that you're working with and reframe the problem into an opportunity, then that's really powerful and you can accomplish it so much easier. Some people get stuck in problems, like, man, they're so stuck in it that they can't get out of it. So then what you do is you flip it into an opportunity and that makes it solvable. That makes sense. Yeah. I love the analogy of the aircraft because for business, it's always trying to build. And so most analogies revolve around a tower or a pyramid or something like that. But, you know, with businesses, it's so dynamic and it changes all the time. And the minute that you stop pushing, you start falling. And so mm. <laughs> I think the aircraft is 100%. like, Turn, you turned off the engines. But if we take that and say, oh, so let's go with the startup. Do you have an example startup where you kind of just off of, after takeoff maybe and how you kind of got them to the next stage or the next altitude, if we keep mm-hmm. on going with that? Yeah, so there's um, a large part of my background in terms of sales comes from the info product space. I think a lot of us are familiar with info products, ebooks, videos, courses, programs. There's one company called their website is sourdoughminer.com. They have a gold prospecting info product business. They teach people how to find gold. Oh. And one of the things we were finding early on was we needed to get to figure out what people really wanted in the market. And that's not like a very developed market, like health, fitness, relationships. Those are very well figured out at this point. You just have to know what stage of the interest cycle people are at. But with cold prospecting, like, no, there aren't marketers to copy in that space. How do you duplicate something if it's not there? So what we did was we created several different products and tested them against each other. It sounds simple, but how many people do that at the beginning? Right. Most people create like a product. Yeah, most people create a product and maybe they'll turn it into a tripwire and splinter it. But what we found was through testing, we found that what people really wanted was done for you mapping services. So what we did was once we figured that out, we started advertising through Facebook and YouTube on uh, pushing the maps angle. Oh, okay. Did they have the course first? So they already had a course about prospecting? No, it was uh, the expert does, he was creating a lot of content on the fly. So we had like a, a Facebook Live, some a lot of content creation. And what we did was we repurposed the content that we already had that was most popular and repurposed it and put that into the products. Because mm. if people really enjoy something, what we, what we find what we were finding was what was really popular on the social media were things that people wanted to buy. Mm. Then it was just a matter of another level, which is what are they willing to pay for. And what we found was the bigger the frustration with people trying to solve a problem, the easier it was to sell. Well, that makes sense. Uh, Yeah, yeah, the the frustrations. People don't like being frustrated. And it doesn't even have to be a big problem. It just has to be a meaningful problem. You can charge a lot of money to solve meaningful problems. Hmm. Oh, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, you don't have to 
some people make massive claims and like all these big like claims and promises to try and sell something for a more expensive product so there's enough margin to do business. But really people don't people don't need bigger claims. They just need more confidence that what you're doing is gonna one, make a difference and two, that it's gonna work. Right. So if you can promise that your thing works, you don't need to have a massive promise to charge you enough to make your business run. God, I love that. Well, I think it, examining the problems of your customers will produce an entirely different product too. Because in in fitness, because I worked in the fitness industry for like a decade, you pe- see people who come up with products, but they only solve the solution that they personally need. And and personally, a lot of people who go into the fitness industry love fitness and they love the process of fitness. And so they end up with these products that only like this many people will use. It's not mm. going to be used by a ton of people. Like there's one thing I remember, a bunch of people came up with these grip products because grip strength training is actually a really small niche mm-hmm. with like a hardcore following of these guys that could like hang from rafters using what's called a pinch grip and, and all yeah. this kind of stuff. Very unique situation very unknown topic and even though their solution may have been good it just didn't matter because the market was like six people exactly and that's where coming up with the problem statement and doing synonyms and then figuring out okay an example of that be would be the problem you're solving is related to, to pinch grips right so i'm having difficulty um, maintaining a pinch grip on a rafter right so that's just a problem statement mm-hmm. so you could say we're going to solve that problem by creating a pinch grip product you could also say we're going to so instead of provide a solution you can say we're going to educate the market or we're going to just the different just brainstorm tons of different variations of that sentence and that that's a great way to kickstart creativity now say you have okay the problem you have a potential solution or a list of potential solutions for it is there a step where you basically say hey this has legs based on the market information or the customer perception yeah that's a great question what i would suggest there is to look at root cause and see which of the problem statements solves the root cause of Mm. all the others so with root cause analysis asking the five whys is one way of saying it um you ask why and you say okay well the reason is this and i don't know what it is for the pinch grips but you ask why four or five times you get to the root of the problem then what you ask is is this really gonna be what moves the needle or if we ask this other problem statement, is that a bigger problem that we could charge more for or that we could position in a more effective way? Or would this pro- problem be easier to, to market? Is there, is there a bigger market for it? Is there interest in it even? So you can start evaluating your options. Oh, I like that. Yeah, so the pinch grip case, which is super specific to grip sports, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is barely yeah. anything anybody knows about. But the greater issue is that people who have weak hands are more likely to develop carpal tunnel if they're on their computers all the time. Mm-hmm. Or there's actually some research that states like grip hand strength is actually in relation to overall health of your body. Because you'll notice if you say go out drinking all night, the next morning you may be hungover and you'll people notice that their hands are weak. And so that's kind of what led to the research in terms of the correlation between the two things. So in that case, you would say, okay, pinch grip, not really an issue that people think about, but they do think about, say, hand health. So mm-hmm. then that would guide your solution? Yes. So that could guide the solution. One thing I like to do with metacognition is look for ways I can use what I already have 
in new ways so that I don't have to come up from scratch with everything and I can start stacking benefits in terms of how our second synergy in terms of leverage, right? So what you can do with the problem statement. So uh, synonyms is applied to the market. So you can say the market we're solving is fill in the blank. And then you come up with synonyms in that sentence for each word in the sentence. And then you can figure out, okay, is this market better for this solution or problem than this other one? So you start looking for the optimum fit. Oh, that makes sense. So when you're going to, or you meet with these companies, because I'm guessing you don't take every company that comes up to you and says, I need help figuring the scaling thing out. Do you have a systematic process of saying, okay, this company is qualified or I can help this company? Or what's, what's your thought process behind that? So th- those are great questions. The first point you alluded to is very important that I see most people not taking heed of. And then the other two points you mentioned, there's a criteria of what you do take and how you can help them. The first thing I think most people forget is the disqualification criteria, mm. which is absolutely necessary, especially if you're finding yourself on the phone with people and business, business just isn't moving forward. You're probably not disqualifying people fast enough. Mm. And therefore, you're spending a lot of time on the phone or however you do business with the wrong people. So if you find that you're... If, yeah, definitely have a disqualification criteria. So for me, if they are a startup at this point, I'm not working with startups. I'm working with companies that are further along in the growth stage in terms of you know anywhere from two years to 10 years. The first two years, I can definitely help them, but I can help people that are in the two to 10 year mark a lot more because they have more resources. So it's more, it makes more sense to put my my resources towards where there's faster growth potential. There's already part of product market fit. They just need to, to scale, right? Yeah. So in terms of who I work with, what I do is I look at the skills that I have and the resources that I have, the people in my network, and say, is the problem that's being solved something that I can solve or that somebody in my network can solve? One of the keys that I've learned to sales and being successful there is you don't sell anything until you know that you can solve their problem and that they know they have that problem. So if I pitch before that, if I pitch before they know they have a problem and not just that, that I know that I can solve their problem and not just that, but they know that I can solve their problem. You're going to hit a lot of resistance. If that makes sense. That totally makes sense. So at that point, just going back to your aircraft analogy, they're already cruising then. Yes. Are they still? They're at the point where they're either getting to being stagnated because of they reached what they're capable of or they're getting to that point. So I come in when the problem that I solve is they are stuck because they've hit what they think they can accomplish without help or maybe they actually have. But then I can come in and pour fuel on the fire or pour gas into the engine and take it to the next level. That's awesome. Well, I love how you say, like, can your network help too? Because I think a lot of times marketers or anybody's in the kind of consulting position is, what can I do by myself with all my own ideas? And yeah. the fact that you have a community, that's super cool. Yeah, it's super important, in my opinion, to have a, to be developing a strong network continually. Nobody swims alone and survives in the ocean, right? I was just thinking, so just in terms of the qualifying the client process, do you have like specific metrics that will tell you what you need to know at least initially just those super basic points of like if yes. somebody has a five percent margin you're not gonna be yeah. in this early. yeah so if 
what I look for is in terms of margin, at least 15 lower end. If it's much lower than that, since I take like a, a partnership angle, then if it's less than five, it just makes the math hard to work out. Are it's trending upwards or downwards? If it's trending downwards and they need a turnaround, that's going to be a lot more work and effort than taking a business that's already positive in the right direction and scaling it further. So I look for is revenue trending upwards or downwards? If revenue is trending downwards, there's people I refer people to, those businesses that can that enjoy working on turnaround. I like taking things that are successful and making them more successful. That's, that's where I like to play. Well, and I like how before you were saying they need to acknowledge that they have a problem too, because yeah. I know some business owner, especially successful, because you'll work with somebody who's a millionaire, like they're doing great. However, their company isn't doing as good as it used to do. There's that. Still some There's humility also, there. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other thing too is, are they a millionaire on paper or do they have a million cash? Because mm. equity and paper money is different than real money as much as some people would like to think otherwise. Then there's also one thing my mentor Roland Frazier talks about. He's a mentor of mine, really smart guy. He mentions the gap. So if you can tell somebody, if you can get somebody to say, I want, I am here, but I want to be here. Mm. And in that gap are problems that you can solve. That's a much easier sell than saying, hey, I can help you grow your business because they don't know that there's a need. But if you create that gap, now there's a need. Hey, Ryan Dice here. You know, it's been a while since I've run the day-to-day for Digital Marketer, the company that Roland and I are partners in. Fortunately, we have a great team and great partners who help us with all that nitty-gritty stuff now. But the one thing that we focused on while I was there and the one thing the team still focuses on to this day is optimizing everything. I'm talking testing everything from the sales copy to the color of the checkout button. Testing like this can have a huge impact on your bottom line, but the truth is it takes a lot of time and a lot of resources. And half the time we were just throwing stuff against the wall just to kind of see what stuck. But the good news is you don't have to figure everything out on your own anymore. And that's because our friends at Conversion Fanatics have optimized hundreds of sites in all types of industries from small startups to Fortune 500s. And now they can handle all your testing and optimization for you too. So if you feel stuck when it comes to optimizing your website, go and visit conversionfanatics.com and they'll give you a list of custom suggestions to optimize your site 100% free. Once again, you can find them at conversionfanatics.com. That's interesting. So how would you say you identify the gap? Is there a soft way to help them acknowledge that there's a problem or how do you work? Yeah, that's a great question. So the way I do it is I ask, I say, what do you want to accomplish? So you get them to set the end goal. So say, I want to make a hundred million dollars or $10 million or whatever it is. And then you say, okay, so where are you currently at? Well, I'm doing $10 million or $1 million, whatever the thing. So now there's a 10x gap. So then you say, so what you're saying is you want to be here and you're currently here. Have you tried or what have you tried to get from point A to point B? Well, I tried this, this, and this. Have you had success with that? Well, we've had success with this and that. What do you think is holding you back? Right. And then you say, and this depends on where you're at in the conversation in terms of how well they know you and what you're capable of. So that all affects the conversation. But that's one way of creating the need is find out what they want and then say, where are you at? 
And then you know with clarity if that's something you can help them with. That's awesome. Well, it's it's much better than saying like, hey, I know exactly what your problem is. You're mm-hmm. doing this wrong and you're doing this wrong and should release mm-hmm. this and blah, blah, blah. And then people automatically get defensive when you... Yeah, like you don't that. want to get defensive because if you tell them that they're wrong, they, they've worked hard. They've been putting a lot of effort into get to where they're at. But if you can position the problem as an opportunity and say, you could, if you did a few different things differently, and I can show you how, you could get from where you are now to where you want to be. That's a much easier pitch than saying, you're doing all these things wrong. I can help you. Yeah, I love that. Well, and I think for marketers, especially all the people who listen to, to this podcast, that's a much better way to present because a lot of people, especially in marketing, marketing is unique because everything that we do is very visible and trackable and it's either working or it's not because you'll know because <laughs> from the ad spend and the revenue and all these other factors. So it's very uh, difficult for some people not to go in there and be like, oh, well, you're not posting on Instagram and that's where 99% of your followers are. So of course you're not doing good. Like, what are you doing? And then people get defensive and yeah. So one of my hobbies is martial arts. And one of my instructors with martial arts once told me, if you can get the initial conditions right, the rest does rest has a lot less importance in terms of trying to get everything right. It's so much easier and smoother if you get the initial conditions correct. So that means having your feet in the right place, being lined up with your opponent optimally and having structure and all the different aspects of martial arts. You can apply the same principle to business. And for example, if you start off the conversation with somebody in a way that feels manipulative or slimy, it's not going to go very well. But if you can show that you actually care about them and show them that you're not going to try to sell them on something that they don't need or that you can't help them with, and that you're there as, as somebody who's has their best interest in mind, it's going to be a much easier sale. Ah. I love that. That's a really good way to put it too. Because I think for marketers, especially like there's, you have to have two brains as a marketer. You have to be, okay, how do I sell the client's product? And most of the time with that, especially if you talk about paid advertising or organic traffic, it's all numbers. Like how do we get as many eyes on this as possible? And so it's all numbers, numbers, numbers. But when you go to the flip side where you're technically marketing and consulting a single person. So now you went from mass appeal to as personal as you could get, which is a one-on-one communication, switching your approach. I think that's where marketers falter and why they seem slimy sometimes because they're taking this approach mass and applying it to one person. Yeah, you have to, if all you have is a hammer, everything's a nail, right? Mm -hmm. So that's where it helps to expand the scope of either your skill sets or your network or specify who you work with best and only work with them. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, yeah, I think that you have a, you're right on the money there. Well, so in terms of, so let's take it back to actionable steps that, that markers could take to apply the concept of metacognition to say their approach to consulting their clients. What would be, I don't know, the biggest pitfall fall and the biggest opportunity that they could have in that situation? Yeah, the idea of metacognition really revolves heavily around questions. So if you're not asking enough questions, if you're doing all the talking, I would say that's a red flag that you're not really focused as much on improvement. So what you could do there is just brainstorm a list of questions that you ask yourself, that you ask clients, and optimize that list to be 
as concise and effective as possible. So one thing I've done in the past, I was like a client development interviews where you go with, you find say 10 people or 15 people in the market you want to enter or the market you want to improve in. And you say, Hey, I'd love to get on a call with you. I'm not here to sell you anything. I just want to ask you some interview questions. And you just ask the market research questions of the people that are you're selling to or that you would sell to. And you can get information straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak, about what they need, what their problems are, and a new pressure, new sales pitch environment so they feel safe and they tell you what they're actually thinking. It's a great way to get data on what's needed in the marketplace. Hmm. So what I would do in terms of metacognition is thinking about what questions you're asking, the, the effects of those questions. Do you really need to ask that question to get closer to your goal? What other questions are that you would want to ask to get closer to your goal? Who do you need to be asking those questions to? Should you be asking that specific person or someone else in the company? Do you ask the janitor or do you ask the CEO? Sometimes it's the janitor. My friend Adam Lyons, oftentimes when he's going into a company, he says he'll ask the janitors first, hey, what's going on with this company that other people don't know about? Because Uh the communication between departments is oftentimes lacking. So if he asks the janitors, what's the problems with the company? They're going to have insights that the CEOs probably have no idea on. Ah, that's so good. Uh, I love it because it, it just, well, pictured or I picture in my mind is undercover boss. Everybody's seen that show, but it's so funny because you see the bosses go in there and then they immediately start dictating stuff like not acknowledging what the employee is saying about the situation, just lecturing them on how they should think about the situation and just getting rid of that entire thought process that person had of why, which would be so much more beneficial for the business leader or boss to acknowledge. But talking to a janitor, just say, hey, well, I think about company culture too. Because if you know your mid-level manager or your interns or something can't kind of recite the culture back to you uh, in a way that you say taught it, then you know that you have a disconnect at all levels within the company. 100%. One thing I would add to that, just going back to what you mentioned about numbers, actually, a second ago, we were talking about numbers and how you know, people look at numbers as either work or whatever the aspect. People, I found, are motivated by numbers. So a lot of people think, a lot of executives that I talk to, they'll think we need to put this in terms that are not like boring, right? But numbers themselves can be very motivating. Like an example, like your credit score, right? Credit score, what is it? It's a number. It's a representation of something, but it's still a number. So people work to increase their credit score or to increase their income or to increase the different the number. So you look, you can look at a number and know what it means objectively. Like there's no question, 700 credit score is 700, right? So there again, you have people selling the gap, right? You want to get to 800. Currently, it's 700. What's the gap? 100 points, right? So you can see an example of the gap in credit score companies saying, well, you could get to 100. You're currently at 600 or 700. What do you need to do to get to that higher mark? I love that. So you're taking that KPI that's very obvious and kind of, you can't really argue with it. I mean, you can't argue with it, but <laughs> if you're saying, yeah, you wanted to add 100 points, I'm going to show you how to get there. Yeah. And then you're also able to report how you're doing because you could say mm-hmm. like, oh, well, this month you're up 20 points. Yeah, and that's a great way to describe how good partnership works is you set KPIs and say, we're going to accomplish this much doing these things. 
And then you can say, because we're going from point A to point B, you can break it down and say, here's what we need to do to be able to get there. Yeah, love that. Well, this has been super informative. I think as marketers or small business owners, it's so easy to get in your own head. And the concept of metacognition kind of gets you away from that. Like, okay, let me systematically think about how I'm thinking about this. If people want to learn more about that or about the kind of stuff that you do, where can they go? Yeah, so my website is joshwilkinson.com, J-O-S-H-W-I-L-K-I-N-S-O-N. Dot com. If you want to connect with me, you can send me an email at contact at joshwilkinson.com or I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Facebook. Feel free to add me on either of those. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I think it's very useful information and, and a good way to see. I still really like your aircraft analogy with business because if you don't think like that, then you're going to follow this guy. And that's the end of the story. Aiming for the moon. <laughs> exactly. Aim for the moon. You'll float around. In success yeah. land, in that case. <laughs> yeah. All right. So thank you so much, Josh. We really appreciate you coming on. All right. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to hit that follow button so you get notified when all of our new episodes release. Please share this with that friend who is clueless about digital marketing. And don't forget to visit digitalmarketer.com where you can access all of our courses, certifications, and training programs. Thanks again, everyone. And we'll see you next time. This is Digital Marketing. Hey, DM listeners, if you're running a Black Friday or Cyber Monday special, listen up. Because Digital Marketer just released our Canva holiday promo pack. It includes almost 200 templates that you can use to make the graphics for all your upcoming holiday specials and three unique design themes for each holiday. The promo pack is usually $27, but you can get it today for free. Check the show notes for the link to download, or you can go directly to digitalmarketer.com forward slash LP forward slash holiday templates. That's digitalmarketer.com forward slash LP forward slash holiday templates.